Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to discuss MSU's upcoming game against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights at the Breslin Center on Sunday. A quick update that we are trying to resolve still, the problem with Spotify. Uh, obviously, you're listening to this, you found other ways of finding the show, but unfortunately, these big companies don't exactly have the customer response for producers of content. So if you want to hassle them a little bit on our behalf, that'd be great. Also, if you subscribe to the new show that they've created that is has all the episodes that doesn't have any ratings, please leave a rating, five stars, and written review. It would be helpful for the algorithms. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, as always, you can head on over to the final four is not the schedule.com slash support, or if you're lazy, tffinots.com slash support. Uh, there you can find the necessary links. And if you want to give us a gift of, I don't know, two, three Bitcoin, we're more than happy to try and figure that out. So you can get me, email me at eric at tffinots.com and we can work something out. <laughs> Uh, well, Michigan State has certainly dug themselves quite the hole, Rod, in the Big Ten race. At 1-4, tied for last place with the Michigan Wolverines. They need to really start get rolling, and a natural place is returning home against the lowly Rutgers team. Uh, Rutgers comes into the game 9-6, and 1-3 in the Big Ten, ranked 86 in Ken Palm, and 91st in the net. They're coming off a home court win over Indiana for their first victory, uh, but it's kind of back to the old Peichel team because they are a terrible offensive team. They rank 251st overall, and defensively, they're 7th. <laughs> so on offense, they don't shoot well. 28.6% from 3, and 334th from 2, which is hard to imagine they're that bad. They hit only uh, two-thirds of their free throws, and they're not a very good offensive rebounding team, which is a little different from the past teams, who were always very solid on the on the boards. Uh, so this team's only 102nd on offensive rebounding rate and 112th in turnover percentage. So they don't do a very good job hanging on to the ball. So they're just really bad offensively. As mentioned, defensively, they're excellent. They're number 12 against twos. They're fifth in block percentage, 14th in opponents turning the ball over. They're 85th against threes, and which kind of puts them sort of middle of the pack in three-point attempts allowed. And the strange weakness for this team which I guess goes along with the offensive rebounding, is that they're really bad defensive rebounding team at 272nd. And we've certainly seen Michigan State with the ability to offensive rebound. But strangely, with despite Rutgers having all those problems, they play really fast. They're 33 in length of offensive possession. And because of their defensive acumen, we'll say, they're really good at preventing teams from getting shots up. And so they're playing. their opponents are playing in exceptionally slow. 357th in length of opponent possession, which I, that has got to be. It's right down near the I bottom. I mean, that's got to be yeah. the, the last, right? The right bottom. down near the bottom. Uh, the only the only thing is, you know, this is a very interesting record team. We talked about this preview uh, before the season started. 
that we really didn't know what this team was going to look like because they lost a lot of big parts uh, from last year. We didn't expect them to fall this far. They obviously have next year. They have they have good recruiting classes lined up yeah. but for this year. Uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, pretty ugly, I guess. You just yeah, <laughs> kind of back and, the old. And Rutgers. that's why there's well for starters, you know, Rutgers is not a place where the basketball coach can be under a lot of fire, especially when he's had the unprecedented success that Steve Michaels had. Um, right. But right. what's making this easier, I think, for the Rutgers fan base to deal with is that they know they've got that recruiting class coming in led by Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper, who were two of the top five players in America. They have other guys too, but it's those two primarily. Now, you know, we can debate what that's actually going to mean on the floor for Rutgers next year, but there's no question that uh, enthusiasm mostly in the program surrounds that as opposed to what this current team is doing. Uh, they yeah. really got hurt by the portal, which is funny to say about a power conference school because you don't usually expect that to happen. You know, usually power schools are adding guys, not losing them. It can happen, of course, yeah. but you know what I'm saying. Well, especially you look at teams, I was just going to say that you look at teams that have stability at the coaching staff. And as far as we can tell, a coaching staff that is seems to get work well with and have good chemistry with players. Yep. So for that to happen is really unusual. It was very strange. And, and you know, especially they lost Paul Mulcahy and Cam Spencer. Spencer is a little easier to understand because he was a portal edition last year, just a one-year guy. So that was a little easier. You know, he he did enough last year with steals that he racked up and especially his perimeter shooting that I think he knew he was going to be um, a hot commodity on the open yeah. market. He ended up at UConn. I would imagine he's getting improved NIL, um, you know, and he's also got a chance to play for a national contender. So... That one made more sense, but losing Mulcahy was really strange to me because he was a Jersey kid. He's a four-year guy there, and of course, obviously, had the extra COVID year that he opted to take, just not at Rutgers. And he, his relationship seemed so good with even even early in his career when he wasn't yet a fully formed player. Pikel really used him, leaned on him. So yeah. and they and everything Mulcahy said, even after he transferred was, yeah, I loved my time there, blah, 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 which again leads one to wonder, was that pretty much exclusively NIL-driven? He ended up at Washington, and I don't know that it's been quite the year he probably expected. Uh, but if they had those two guys, it was a completely different team. Yeah. Because both of those guys could shoot. Mulcahy was a great distributor. He made them better offensively just by being on the floor. And yet they didn't lose anything defensively with them. They were both really good defensive players. So, and as fifth year guys, you know, you would have expected really good things. So that was a, that was a really critical blow to this year's team. It kind of put them behind the eight ball to begin with, but I don't think I didn't expect the struggle to be quite this much in terms of the offensive end uh they just don't do anything well and to see them struggling this much in you know shooting the ball and not turning it over well, and all of that especially but yeah to not at least have that the worst pikel teams 
couldn't throw the ball in the ocean, could at least <laughs> go get it. And that's how they remained competitive, was they were really good in terms of generating second chances. This team's not doing that at a very good clip. The defensive rebounding is awful. It has occasionally been bad in the past because Rutgers tends to be a high shot block team, as they are this year. And so oftentimes, right. you know, it stands to reason when your big men are taking a lot of chances to block shots and very active, they will more often than another team, let's say, be out of position to get a defensive right. rebound. But it's still, it's a really bad number even by those standards. Otherwise, though, a very good defensive team. I mean, they're great against twos. As I said, they block a lot of shots. Um, they generate a lot of turnovers, which has not always been their MO, and they're not really a ball-hawking kind of team. Most of their turnovers are non-steal turnovers. But I think some of that is because they've been so good that, as you talked about, they're forcing opponents to use up so much of their shot clock that sometimes mistakes happen. You know, if if you don't right. end up getting an early or early-ish shot, sometimes that possession's going to end up in a bad way without you getting any shot at all because you just make a mistake. You had to hold on to the ball longer than you wanted to. Um, but, yeah, really good there other than in terms of rebounding and just as bad the converse of that on the offensive end. So it's added up to a... I think a disappointing season and, um, you know, it remains to be seen if they can find a way to turn it around, but a lot will have to change. Yeah. Just to put a bow on that with Cam Spencer, his leading score for UConn averaging 15.4 points game, shooting 45% from three, 51% from the line or from the field. Could they use that? <laughs> yeah. They could really use that for sure. Can you, yeah, they'd be. What a difference yeah, that. Yeah, he's had a uh, very he's had a very good year at UConn. That's for sure. But that meant, I mean, losing those two guys in the portal and then Caleb McConnell graduating. So those three guards who were a really big part of their success the last several years, not just one year, at least for two of those yeah. guys, all gone. Well, I guess we can get through the. Let's start, go to go over the starters. Uh, this is brought to you by the Brothers Suggest Your Gutters. Again, a reminder: it is January. There's snow everywhere, but they are still going to be out there fixing your gutters. If you have leaky gutters and you've noticed more now, I was just listening to talk about some business they were at, fixing up the gutters that were leaking and pouring into their, right by their foundation, getting into the basement, kind of messing up a bunch of the stuff they got in their basement. So uh, if you've got those problems, downspouts or whatever it might be, rusted out, uh, the Brothers Adjusted Gutters can fix those things. They can also put in heated gutters, which are a fairly affordable way of keeping the ice and snow from building up in your gutters. You can find them at brothersgutters.com. They go out any weather. They'll go out right now and take care of things. If you're on the west side of the state, Kurt and his team can help set you up. Or on the east side of the state, uh, Greg and his team can also take care of you in the metro Detroit area. So you want to check them out. 10% off if you mention Final Four for your uh, estimate at the Brothers Just Your Gutters, sponsoring the player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. And Michigan State has generally, especially at home, been pretty good at keeping those players in the gutter. And Rod will mention who that is after we get through these players. Uh, we'll begin with the starters and Derek Simpson, 6'3", sophomore. Simpson emerged last year as a young guard to watch, but is now become a key guy for this team. Uh, he kind of reminds me a little of, um, I'm trying to think who else used to be on Rutgers, who was their um, number zero. I can't remember his name, but he looked a little bit like him. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, but he's averaging 9.7 points a game. Leads the team in assists at three a game. 
but not quite a two to one assist ratio, turnover assist ratio. He is shooting 33, 30, and 85 and gets about 3.7 free throws a game. I think they hoped for more out of him because he was really good toward the end of last season, his freshman year. And I think it gave them some optimism in the offseason that, well, if he continues developing on the trajectory we saw his first year, this isn't going to be that bad. You right. know, well, it hasn't worked out that way. And I think the fact that he really hasn't been able to elevate his game as a shooter or a playmaker, still good defensively, but it, on the offensive end, he hadn't been able to do much to to get markedly better. Uh, that's been part of the problem. You know, still potential to be sure, but they, I think they hoped for more. Yeah. Uh, so next would be Austin Williams. He's a transfer from Florida International, six foot four guard. Started the last game for Rutgers, averaging five and a half points a game on 56, 36, and 50, <laughs> 50 shooting. Uh, he's not a very good assist turnover ratio at one to three, which is the opposite way yeah, you want it to be. Not your, not your playmaker. Uh, he would also rate as their sniper with those kind of shooting numbers, which are 36%. Okay. They're not bad, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. He hasn't played a ton. You know, they're, they just started him. It's his third start of the year, but, uh, the fact they got a win with that lineup suggests to me, we're probably likely to see it again on Sunday. Uh, Next would be Mawat Mag. Uh, he's six foot seven. He's the one who tore his ACL against Michigan state when they played in, um, at Madison Square Gardens, I think. Yep. Uh, he's he's uh, missed a bunch of games, but he's been good when he's out there. He's averaging 10.7 points a game and 55.1 rebounds a game, shooting 36, 29, and 67. Yeah. Those numbers don't make your eyes pop, but I'm telling you. He can be streaky, I feel the, like. He can, and with last season and now this season, I'm pretty convinced that even beyond what the numbers would suggest, he is a guy, when he's in the lineup, Rutgers is just better. I mean, the, it's it, last year you can directly trace their yes. complete falling off a cliff to the point where they didn't actually make it into the tournament field, which at the time he was hurt would have seemed laughable where they were. Um, you could directly trace it to that. Now, was that the only reason? Probably not. But I I think he's one of those guys that's just a connector for them. On this team, he's even more important because he's a guy who can actually score at least a little bit. And they just don't have enough of that to go around. Yeah. So anywhere they can get points is a big deal. So if they could st- if he could stay healthy, maybe there's a little bit of team improvement coming. Yeah. He's he does that sort of uh, slinky sort of athleticism that sort of yeah. helps them. Both, and even both though, ends of the court. Even though the three-point shooting numbers are not good so far this year, he is capable of getting on a roll. As you said, I've seen him do that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he's he's a good player for them. And for all those you screaming into your uh, podcast player, that the guy I was thinking of is I, Geo Baker, is who I was thinking Derek ah, sort of reminded me of, former yeah, uh, Rutgers maybe, player. Maybe. I, well, a, kind of like a poor man's Baker. You know what? I'll tell, I'll say one thing that they share in common thus far, which is something Simpson's going to hope changes. Geo Baker was a good player who could have been great if he'd 
ever develop consistency with his jumper. Yeah. And so that's right. a key yeah. for Simpson as well. So moving on to, to the starting lineup, Andre Hyatt, 6'6", senior, averaging almost 12 points a game. So he's leader of the team for scoring. 5.8 rebounds a game, shoots 39, 35, and 77. This is the guy to keep in the gutter. Uh, nice season. They brought him in via the portal last year, and he was okay mostly. He was operating as a reserve and then when Mott got I believe, if I remember correctly, that's when he got elevated into the starting lineup. But I think he just struggled to find consistency. They had brought him in as a real undersized four. He's only 6'6", but he's kind of a bigger guy. Uh, could compete on the boards, and yet they thought he also had the ability to stretch defenses. But I think he had problems finding consistency on the jumper. It's better this year. And so he's able to be a multi-level scorer. He can rebound, obviously, from that position. Um, so an important player, and and truthfully, you take everything in consideration. Their best player this year, I think. And finally, rounding out the starting five is Cliff Omaruye, six foot ten senior, uh, averaging ten point three points a game, nine point one rebounds a game, shooting fifty zero and sixty three. And he was really good last year, and uh, he also does average three blocks a game too. Better than three blocks, actually. It's close to three and a half. Uh, he's really been disappointing. And I, I haven't seen every Rutgers game, so I can't speak <laughs> to whether it is mostly him or mostly that the guys around him just aren't as good as what he had his first, his first three seasons. I suspect, right. yeah. I suspect it's a little of both, but maybe, maybe more of the latter. Um, but, but here's the thing last year, I thought. He's gotten better every year up until this season. You could see steady improvement every year from him. And last year, I thought what he really added to his game is he started to become a real weapon as a low post scorer. Like he would consistently make good rudimentary moves. I mean, he's not he's not Zach Randolph in terms of footwork, but knew what he was doing down there and was able to convert at a pretty good clip. And I thought that made a difference. That helped him go up another level as an offensive player. This year, it's not happening. You know, 50% from the floor for a perimeter player, let's say, is very good. And for your average player is okay. But for a big man, and especially a big man who people thought coming into the season would be right there among the best not named Zach Eady in the league, it's a disappointing number. You would expect him. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't go back and look at his career numbers, but I'm going to guess he was probably a lot closer to sixty percent than fifty percent over his career. And so, shooting fifty percent, it can be a sign that you're being forced to take on more than you're capable of. That can be one indicator, um, which wouldn't entirely be his fault, but for whatever reason. It's not happening the way I think they expected. If Rutgers was going to be really competitive this year, he needed not only to maintain what he did last season, but I think take another step up and maybe become a guy that they counted on for, you know, 18 points a night, that kind of thing, double-digit rebounds. None of that has happened. The one thing that's – even the rebounding's down a little bit because I think he was a double-double guy last year. I he, think. Was, he was 13.2 points and 9.6 rebounds a Close. game last okay. year. Close, okay. 
close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's down more than three points a game. He's down about half a rebound a game. That's actually significant when you expect a guy to actually be improving as he gets a year older. And instead, it's going in reverse. The one thing that's still there, though, dominant shot blocker. Now, part of, I, we talked about this earlier, part of the reason Rutgers struggles defend, in defensive rebounding the way that they do is their shot blockers are so active, they put themselves out of position. So he's somewhat yeah. guilty of that, but still, three and a half blocks is three and a half blocks. Certainly going to be disruptive. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the reserves then, Noah Fernandez, 5'11", grad transfer from UMass. He started every game, but the last game, he's averaging 7.9 points a game on 34, 27, and 87 uh, shooting. Uh, he's also uh, the best assisted turnover guy, or second best, I guess, at a th with a, I don't know, a 3 to 2 <laughs> assisted turnover ratio. Yeah, yeah, 31 to 21 on the season in raw numbers. Um, he was considered a big portal addition. They got him from UMass. Um, he had had a track record being a very good perimeter shooter and also a guy who maybe wasn't enough of a point guard to be your permanent full-time guy, but certainly could pitch in and out. Well, I think he's done the second part of that okay, but the shooting has been nowhere remotely close to where they had hoped it would be. They added him, actually, I believe before Spencer and Mulcahy decided to go. They got him really quickly, if I remember correctly, in the portal. And I think the thought was, oh, well, this is a great, you know, first guard off the bench who can come in and, and keep adding to our, our shooting improvement while the other two guys leave and he comes in and he's shooting sub 30%. It's a big problem. I mean, if, if he can't, if he can't find his way out of this slump and, and become a uh, more reliable jump shooter, I'd struggle to see how Rutgers improves a whole hell of a lot offensively. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly, it would not be surprising, I think, to either of us that we find Rutgers at the bottom of the Big Ten at the end of the season. I mean, there there's certainly a lot of a lot of teams that might be there, um, but they could be yeah, battling I mean, bottom. They'll be make, playing the first day, I think, almost for you sure. make a is point. At this I point. mean, Minnesota, well, I still think is near the bottom of the league in terms of talent, but. They're like, what, three and two or something? They found their way to some wins, and they're back to where they were. I don't think they're as good as they were two years ago honestly, but they're back closer to that in terms of how well they compete. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, sometimes that's a big part of the battle, especially in a big 10 where there's a lot of bad teams. I think that, uh, I don't expect Rutgers to finish last. I think they'll find a way to avoid that, but they're going to be near the bottom. This is going to be the worst year they've had in probably since I'd have to look at it, maybe 2017, 2018, yeah, somewhere in there. A year. Yeah. 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 Uh, so moving on to Gavin Griffiths, a uh, 6'7 freshman, highly regarded recruit, averaging 6.7 points a game on 35, 25, and 53 shooting. Uh, so again, someone who's not hitting from outside. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, he was a top 50 recruit. So heavy expectations. And his strength was shooting coming out of high school. <laughs> So this was, and I know we must have talked about this in our preseason Rutgers preview. If if they were going to get even close to what, and it's not like they were a gangbuster shooting team as a whole from three last year, but they were, you know, they they had guys who could certainly hurt you, right? 
if they were going to yeah. be anywhere close to that this year, Fernandez and Griffiths had to be what they had to meet expectations, and neither has. They're both sub 30. Griffith's case, you're talking about a true freshman, a lot easier to write off because he's making an adjustment to big-time basketball, et cetera, et cetera. But still disappointing because I think like they had hopes that he was the kind of guy that could step right in and really be an immediate. And he scored almost seven points a game. It's not like he's doing nothing, but I think they thought he'd do more. Then we get to Jamichael Davis, 6'2 freshman guard, averaging 5.4 points a game on 34, 28, and 43 shooting. So yeah. similar numbers to Griffiths. Bad shooting. They like his future. They like him defensively. If he's going to be really good, obviously he's got to find a way to get those shooting numbers hiked up. Next would be Antoine Wolflick, 6'9", 250-pound senior or sophomore, averaging 4 points a game and 3.3 rebounds a game in 15 minutes, shooting 59, 25, and 41. Yeah, the 25 should not be taken. It's he's one for four. One he doesn't four, shoot a lot yeah, of threes. Right. But he look, he's actually, I thought this was true last year, and it's been mostly true this year. A pretty good quality backup at the center because while well, he doesn't have the game the starter has, he's a big guy. He came from a football background. He was, I believe he had D one offers as a football recruit, opted to play basketball. He's a big guy that can move and you know, Rutgers has proven to be able to get a lot out of guys like him in Peichel's tenure there. So I think it was a good choice that he made. And for the moment, he's giving them a solid backup play at that spot. You know, next year will be interesting to see if they look to elevate him into the starting lineup and how that goes. But, um, you know, decent backup at this stage. Sure. And finally, Oscar Palmquist, 6'8", senior, averaging three points a game and 1.7 rebounds a game in 12 minutes, shooting 42 and 28, 77. So everybody's in the 20s, pretty much. Yeah, he's been around, well, it seems like a long time, and it's hard for me to believe like he's been forever. his fifth year. You know, came in, he and Dean Reber, who's no longer around, came in on the same class. They were both kind of stretch four type players who had some good size, but reportedly could hit from the perimeter and it just never fully worked for either one of them still not working for Palmquist the way they'd like it because that that three conversion number is not good enough all right so now we'll go to our who for Michigan State is going to be clean the glass the best uh, brought to you by the squeegee squad uh, currently I I'm at three and and I'm starting to feel a little fat and sassy here Rod but you get to first pick this time for a, a game where it looks like it from a you know, on paper, <laughs> we've said this many times, it seems like this season, Michigan State should have a big edge from the on the glass. So who do you pick as the top rebounder for Michigan State? Mati Sissoko. Yeah. It's Not going to rock one. the boat. He's, the, the I got, thing I got about him is, let's, let's <laughs> you know, all the heat he takes from certain quarters of the fan base, he is in a run of games where he has been remarkably consistent as a rebounder. Yeah. That's Especially true. defensively, which is where they need him to show up. Yeah. I think he, no one was good defensively against Northwestern. I feel like he, I think he finished with five, but yeah, all the other games before that previously, he'd been, if not double, just kind of knocking the door like eight or so. So right. he's been very, very effective. Uh, you know, it seems like the, the logical choice for the second, well, I had Cooper last time I got it. So I'm going to go with Malik Hall this time. 
Um, and just because I feel like he's going to have that same, he's going to have that same energy that he brought to the Illinois game. And this is a, a I mean, there could be a lot of bad shots, but I don't think there'll be a ton from outside. So I think there'll be a lot of more sort of inside. So I think definitely like a Hall, Cooper, or Sissoka are going to be the best rebounders of this game. So I'm going to go with Malik Hall. And again, that's brought to you by the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids. Uh, they do fantastic work cleaning up, cleaning your windows, uh, whether you're just residential, commercial, high rise, they do it all. Uh, so that makes them unusual for, for lots of window cleaning services. So they can really handle everything for you. Uh, you can get a hold of them at Squeegee Squad at, at Grand Rapids. The link is below. Uh, you can get 15% off if you mention a rebound or yeah, at a checkout uh, when you get your estimate. Uh, they can take care of your windows. They can wash your house. They get up on the ladders. They get things nice and close. They come inside. They clean your screens. They can clean your windowsills. They give you estimates for everything. So they'll come in and just give you an estimate for all things, and you can sort of decide what you want to do and sort of what works for your schedule. Uh, they will go out in any weather. They're even out here in January and February. They'll be out there cleaning stuff up. So you want to get your glass cleaned, contact the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids. Uh, so moving on to the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing is Gabe and Brittany. Fantastic Spartans. They were instrumental in the Spartan Strong effort to help shooting victims at Michigan State. Uh, they have high quality print screen, screen printing apparel, both Spartan and other collegiate apparel. You can find it all at nudgeprinting.com. 20% off. You mentioned Final Four at checkout when you uh, make your order. Uh, they have, they're, they're sponsoring the trivia question, which we'll have in about a week. But you can't go wrong by going to Nudge Printing. They are the favorite apparel of in my family and I continue to get more and more of it because it's so, so comfortable, well-priced. And if you want to even have a fundraiser or you want to do something for your business or your school group, you can go to fabricatedcustoms.com and there is, they will set up everything for you. They'll do all the billing. They'll do all the shipping. They can set up a, they can set up a store where they can just sell whatever it is that you want. Uh, it was super easy when I use it for our high school. So I would highly recommend that, uh, there's almost no work that you have to do. They'll even do the design for you. So Gabe is, is really easy to work with. And I think, you know, probably in a little bit, we're going to open up this, our own store just for a few weeks and kind of go do that for, if you want to get our apparel again for our, with our logo. So anyway, uh, moving on to five keys of the game, we'll begin with the first one, which is, you know, groundbreaking it's to win. <laughs> it's, it's five, it's one and four. Uh, and so now, you know, you're playing a team that at home you should have forever for all rights and purposes, you should beat. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously as simplistic as it gets, but at this stage, Michigan State needs, I don't think it's too much. Oftentimes, when I say, oh, they need to win this game, it's an overstatement. Not an overstatement here. They need to win this game. Start getting back in the win column, rebuilding that, you know, getting back on that um, positive momentum that they had over that five-game win streak uh, prior to Northwestern. And, um, yeah, there, there's <laughs> the opportunity is right there in front of them. You're at home playing a team that you're just flat-out better than. You ought to win, and, frankly, you ought to win without a whole hell of a lot of trouble. Right. You should. It should not be in too much doubt, even at halftime, I would think. You should be Well, I would say that they're not. we're not nervous in the last four minutes. I'll give them that much Exactly, yeah. For sure, for sure, and and this is the one where if you lose this game, it's not a terrible loss, but it's kind of a bad loss. I mean, it's you, a bad loss. It, at, at home, it's a bad loss. At home, right? Exactly. Losing yeah. to Wisconsin at home, not 
uh, probably not bad. Um, yeah. The way they lost, bad, but yeah, yeah but, they, but on, not a terms on of paper. What it, means, it doesn't look bad. This would be bad. Yeah. yeah. Second key to the game is perimeter shooting. Michigan State was a, a poor five for nineteen from three against Illinois, uh, can, including a zero for eight in the last the last uh, well eight shots. They were decent before that, but so they've got a you know. Well, they were good. They were five more for, consistent. They were five for eleven. So yeah, to start. So we're they're five of their first eleven, and then zero for eight. Um, yeah. That was five for eleven into the second half. They were only three for eight at halftime, so they hit two of their first three after the break, and then it, they just wouldn't fall. That's when they went ahead. Right. Yeah. So I'm not of the belief that a shaky whatever it was last 10 minutes or so of a of one game is a sign that they've suddenly lost an ability to make jumpers again. Um, I think the evidence has become reasonably clear that this might not be, well, it's not as good a three-point shooting team as last year's was, which was an exceptional group. Right. It's pretty good. They have multiple guys who can hurt you. And that's all you ask for. Uh, that said, you don't want to see it start to let doubt creep into the collective minds of the team. So it would be nice to see shots falling at the Breslin and just shake that right out of their heads and you don't you don't lose any sleep over it. Right. And that kind of leads a little bit into the next key to the game in transition. Uh, it's a poor yeah. shooting Rutgers group gives you opportunity to get out and run, which gives you oftentimes very good opportunities to get threes in transition, which is, um, you know, especially like Jaden Akins is sort of like his specialty. Yep. Um, it's also where you can get Malik Hall sometimes some more comfortable shots as a trailing three. Right. Which he's a little more confident in, I think, than in standard half-court offense. Uh, here's the thing. What adds up, Rutgers historically under Pike has been very, very, very difficult to run up. And I'm not saying they won't be in this one, but what is a little different, they've usually been a bad shooting team. So a lot of misses, right? But they've also usually coupled that with very, very good offensive rebounding. This team doesn't. So if, you, if you're getting a lot of misses, as we expect, and you're also getting a lot of defensive rebounds, which I expect, and hopefully clean ones, there should be some chances to get into transition, maybe more than we're used to seeing in a typical game against Rutgers. And any time, look, this is a number seven defense uh, in Ken Palm in the country. So any easy baskets you can get where you're not having to slug it out in five on five on five in the half court is a big deal. It's a positive. Yeah. And I think as we saw in the Baylor game too, you know, even though I, I think there's this tendency to sort of leak out for the guards and try and get the transition going a little bit sooner, you're much better making sure you get secure the rebound and then run. And you still have plenty of time to, to do some real damage like they did against, against Baylor. So uh, anyway, well, I think that was that's been sort of the, the problem. These gets these smaller teams that are poor rebounding teams. I think it just seems like they think, oh, well, rebounding would be no problem, so we can sort of not yeah. know, check people as much as and we you have, have before to look, and put a body the, on them. Probably the best transition team Tom Izzo's ever had was that group, you know, around the ninety nine two thousand period. Yeah. And if you think about who the starting wings were, um or at least some of that, or at least the two best wings. 
were Charlie Bell and Mo Peterson. You think about those yeah. guys flying up and down the court, running running lanes on the, you know, on opposite opposite uh, sidelines, and how great they were at getting in transition and finishing. But also remember how great those guys were as rebounders. You can do both. Number four key to the game is second chances. We've already mentioned Rutgers terrible defensive rebounding group, and Michigan State has been, I'd say, uh, better than average offensive rebounding. Yes, so this may I would be an too. opportunity to, to get to pull out some extra buckets. And if you shoot 40, 50% from the field, that's going to be hard for a team that's bad offensively to recover from. Yeah. And look, Rutgers, Rutgers, the real deal in terms of defending against twos, they've been not quite as good against threes, but they also don't give up a ton of attempts. Um, so if Michigan state, if that holds and Michigan state is not quite themselves in terms of shooting percentage, Second chance baskets will be really important, and there should be opportunities for it. And the fifth and final key to the game is poise. So Rutgers force a lot of turnovers. Uh, they don't get into you as far as like getting a lot of steals and stuff. But uh, you know, their um, Michigan State has not had a turnover problem really much of the season. I think the most they've had is fifteen, and that was a game where I think they forced seventeen or eighteen of their opponents. So. Uh, you don't obviously want to have a huge disparity here because Rutgers has trouble scoring. So you don't want to give them easy baskets clearly, but also extra opportunities for a team that stinks. Yeah. And you know, last year they were a little more of a ball hawking group, you know, yeah. Spen- Spencer Mc- was Mulcahy really good. Yeah. And Spencer, um, yeah. um, uh, Caleb O'Connell or Caleb McConnell, mm-hmm. sorry, was really good. They had a lot of guards who I kind of, it reminds me a little bit of Michigan State's group where they weren't gambling or anything, but they just quick hands, playing sound defensively, ended up with a lot of forced turnovers. That's not really this team. They're still generating a lot of turnovers, but it's other people making mistakes. So traveling, throwing the ball away, it's those kind of things rather than steals. The good news is that means Rutgers, even with that high turnover percentage against number, they're not getting into transition with it because this is a bad offensive team you want to make them earn it in the half court right uh, you want right. to get easy baskets they're not getting those but they're still generating you know possessions where you're not getting a shot so i think it's it's important that michigan state remain where they've been as you pointed out most of the year not making an excessive amount of mistakes do that and i think it's going to be hard for Rutgers to win this certainly seems like the kind of game where Michigan State brings their good defensive effort. They could hold this team to around 50 points. And then you think that's a really good chance Michigan State wins that game. I mean, pretty easily, right? I mean, that's... The only mitigating factor there would be pace. And as you mentioned at the outset, it was shocking to me. Rutgers is 33rd in the country in length of offensive possession. That means they're getting shots up really fast. You would think that given how bad they've been in terms of shooting the ball... <laughs> Right. And they would almost be right like, okay, well, this is not working. Maybe we need to slow it down, but they're not. So if they're doing that and somehow Michigan State is also able to play fast, despite what Rutgers typically does to opponents, um, that would be the only caveat to, yeah, this could be a game where if you play really well at that end, you might have a chance at, you know, holding an opponent in the 50s, which doesn't happen that much anymore. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah, you c- you kind of feel like in this game, if Michigan State gets 
plus shots, shot attempts that their chances are pretty good. I would agree. At winning this game. I would yeah. agree. All right. Well, I think we'll, we'll turn over there. We'll see you guys after the game. I'm uh, looking forward to being back in the Breslin after getting this little ice cream sandwich. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs>